1: Is the Toffee Wet Podcast. Alex Iwobi getting Everton on the move, and Calvert Lewin takes it brilliantly. DeCorey's in the box. Calvert Lewin, he's found him! What a start! What a start! 35 seconds on the clock, and Everton strike. Abdelai DeCorey with a priceless goal. Everton on the counter-attack, and plenty of bodies forward. Decore is in acres of space, and Decore at the double! Volleys home brilliantly. Counter-attacking football at its brilliant best. McNeil gets the byline, and it's 3-0! It'll go down as an own goal, who cares? Everton are in dreamland. Let me say this again. Brighton nil, Everton three. And Iwobi's played it into the path of McNeil to seal it for Everton. How about that? (laughs) As cool and calm and composed as it comes. And Everton have smashed Brighton to pieces this afternoon. Playing the ball on for Dwight McNeil, who's got energy to burn for, and off he goes again. Oh! Ho, 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 ho! Dwight McNeil completes a perfect day for Everton.
2: Absolutely, Dwight, huge congratulations. Dwight, how big of three points is that? Yeah, massive. Uh, great start as well. Obviously, counter, gone pound Dukes, great finish. So we started on the front foot um, and we had a game plan, and we stuck to it. And I um, thought we were all brilliant today and we deserved the three points. Dwight, do you think you surprised them this evening? Um, yeah, a little bit
3: like I said, we started off so well, uh, we couldn't get off to a better start, but it's credit to the lads, um, been in a difficult position um, this year, but no, it's credit to us, and now we've just got to build um, on this, this game for the massive last three games ahead. In the session you are in, we
4: know we need points, and to become at half-time with 3 it was a good, good thing, and to defend for the, for the 45 last was it was OK. How much confidence
2: can you take into the rest of this season? Yeah, massive, massive confidence. We know we've got a massive game on Sunday coming up and then the game after that, massive two games as well coming up, but we want to do it for ourselves, for, the, for each other and for, for the fans. I was going to say, these have been magnificent all night,
3: haven't
4: they? Yeah, they've been always behind us, so we are so happy to, to give them a win, finally. Mm-hmm. Very well done tonight. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
5: How are we, Blues? Bouncing through the week with a bit of a spring in your step, perhaps? <laughs> Welcome to the Toffee Web podcast, which I think has always been a fairly class-half-full affair, but I don't think any of us expected what unfolded in Brighton on Monday evening. Everton absolutely took the Seagulls apart in an exhibition of counter-attacking football, lifted themselves out of the bottom three, and gave themselves a real chance of saving the club from relegation for a second successive season. I'm here with a full crew of Paul, L. Andy, and Adam to basically bask in the warm glow of Everton's biggest away win since since December 2018. Uh, there's plenty to get into from Sean Deitch making the change we were begging for at the back. Uh the bold decision to leave central midfield unchanged. uh some redemptive performances from the reverse fixture in January, heroics and goal from Jordan Pickford, and a brilliant uh performance from Dominic Calvert Lewin that didn't yield a goal yet was integral to our success down on the south coast uh paul why did you have the first word on this sum up how you felt at the final whistle on monday
3: you guys couldn't stop grinning to yourself good yeah it was uh, a, <laughs> yeah it was just just amazing my um yeah, it's, 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 my uh, my son had to go to A uh, and for like nothing too serious in the end, but like uh, so I was there. And my, my wife was like, I was I wasn't there. I was watching the match. So I couldn't get away from the screen. My wife was watching uh, watching my son in A and E. She kept saying, "What's the score?" Because she couldn't believe it. When it was like three 0 four nil, four one, five one. So when it, when it got to full time, I, I just couldn't believe um, what happened. Really, it was uh, it was inc- just just amazing. Um, the amount of messages you probably all got from everybody just said, wow, look at the score. <laughs> I can't believe that. Um, just incredible. It's, uh, we haven't had too much to, to shout about obviously this season. So, um, just seeing the amount of like, you know, things like the WhatsApp groups that I'm in and like the stick you've been getting from like sort of the um, reds and that, like just, uh, just nice to sort of like, even if smugly sit there silently and not to say much back, it was quite nice to sort of, uh, just have the, uh, the shoe on the other foot really. It was, um, Brilliant at the end, brilliant performance. You wished you were there, didn't you? you saw them all singing, singing in the crowd for uh, for for quite a long time after the game. Um, great reward for the Evertonians who travelled, and uh, yeah, what a what a performance! Uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, couldn't have been any better, could it?
6: Yeah, wow, wow. It was just un- unbelievable to think that. I think in our in our own group on uh, on Saturday we were bemoaning the th- the fact that. Um, Man City hadn't scored as many against Leeds and we were worried about goal difference coming into play. And we managed to take care of that all by ourselves um, against Brighton, against a very, very good Brighton side. Um, Nobody saw this coming. Um, Certainly I didn't. And I I thought a point would have been a fantastic result. So to get three and in that fashion, um, it's just unbelievable. Um, I know you you obviously decided to uh, forgo... A and E, Paul. I was um, I was at a wedding, um, my friend's wedding. Uh, they're both City fans, by the way. So uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, they sort of have a very happy life together. Apart from uh, Saturday uh, coming up, but um, had a fantastic day at the wedding. So when someone called on me straight after the speeches to say, oh, "Have you seen the Everton score?" I my face fell. I went grey. <laughs> um, I, I thought I was going to have to put on nicer uh, niceties for the rest of the evening, even though I was dying inside. So to find out that we were 3-0 up and just about to go 4-0 up, I, I couldn't believe it. So, um, yeah, unthinkable, unbelievable. Unparalleled so far this season. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's enjoy it. Eh? Yeah.
4: I, I just sat there in disbelief and... I think what sums up how bad Everton have been recently is usually I'll, you know, my girlfriend might say, how oh, did Everton get on? And, you know, she wouldn't really pay attention. But when I sort of gave her the goal updates, even she was doing a bit of a double take as if, to say, like Everton, they don't usually do that, you know, sort of thing. So, you know, I think it was, I, I was just amazed as each goal went in, but um, I was just so proud of that performance and, um, and you know, I would go as far as saying that in my like 26 year spot everything. It's one of the best team performances I've seen, just because I think everything was so spot on. I think what really impressed me as well was that was the game management. It, you know, it, it, it it's quite bizarre that I probably felt more nervous at three 0 than I would have it if, if it was 0 nil, um, because you you know that you know things you know, can go wrong when you've got those leads and it would just be so heartbreaking, but to be 3-0 up and then to, that, how the game went, that, you know, Brighton really did throw the kitchen sink at us at one point. But I thought we defended really resolutely, uh, really committed. I thought it was a, a disciplined performance. I thought, you know, um, especially the players that came in, they just grew in confidence as well. And what what's really pleasing as well is, you know, this isn't like we've... We've gone to one of the bottom clubs and and done well. we've, We've taken on one of the sides who've been lauded all season, and rightly so, because they're such a top side. And, you know, as bad as Everton have been and all the narrative around us, Brighton are almost like the complete opposite of what Everton are off the pitch. And I think that is another element of it, that it's just so pleasing that, yeah, they have done everything right, but on the day, you know, some of the performances from the players, it was just genuinely, if you were to give player ratings, you know, a lot of them were on 10 out of 10 because they they didn't put a foot wrong. And, you know, it's not like um, Brighton were appalling either. You know, Brighton, even at 3-0, Brighton were were in the game, creating chances. Um, And I think it was, it's bizarre for a 5-1 to be sort of like a smash and grab, but I feel like it was because we managed it just so perfectly. You know, we got an early goal. We got a, a goal very late on to just kill it. Um, and it, it was just perfect. And I think, and, and you know, another mention for, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I think, you know, he, he didn't score, as you mentioned, Lyndon, But, you know, it, it was just great to see a, a functioning Everton team where players are in the natural position. There's a plan and everybody carries it out, to, you know, to the letter. um So, yeah, just really impressive. And just, as I say, you know, I'm not over-egging it. That was one of the best team performances I've ever seen from an Everton side.
2: There's lots of confusion with me because you kind of jump up after the first goal, and you think, "Oh, that's too early," and then the second one goes in, and you think, "Wow, okay, uh, well this this is going to go wrong." We you know we're at least eking it out a bit, and then the third goes in, and I genuinely didn't know what to do. It's like it, it was it was otherworldly. It was, other it was a, it, like how how do how am I supposed to react to this? I've kind of forgotten. Um, what it feels like for Everton to just go and score one, two, three goals, um, and I mean, I was obviously elated, but it was—I was confused. Um, it was—you mentioned one word. El, it was—it was a perfect performance, um, exactly what he want, uh, sean Dyche would have wanted to happen, and I'm sure they planned happening. That must have been almost to the letter. Uh, in terms of how he wanted them to play. And that performance, to garner that scoreline, I think probably where he's admitted it, he's, he's even shot the manager, hasn't it? Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting. And I, I know there's been... I, I, pe- different people will diff- think different things about Sean Dyche and also his Everton reign so far. But you, what you had there was a high pressure game in a match that we were the underdogs in, but we kind of had to get something from. And after what must have been, well, if we scored after 34 seconds, I reckon after about 20, Dominic Carvert-Lewin has turned a very good defender with quite an elaborate bit of skill in the first 20 odd seconds of a game. So those players are obviously going out with confidence. They are obviously going out with an air of calm. And I think that's quite an achievement for that staff to have achieved that with those players, having been on the run we've been on. And I know Leicester was a little upturn in, in how it felt. But still, we were under the cosh this weekend with, with the other results and what we had to do. And I just that just struck me that after that, you know, you think, uh, okay, first couple of minutes, let's just get your first touch in. Let's see where everybody is. But no, he's pirouetting. We're we're off down the line, you know. And to me, that spoke quite loudly in terms of what the players are feeling. And, I, and all credit to Sean Dyche for that, and for for the staff who have obviously have to work on shape and all the physical bits. But you also have to work quite hard psychologically. I would imagine when you're when you're down there. And that just struck me from almost, well, literally minute one, that he's got confidence into these players. And, um, well, you know, it's it's well-founded after that. Um, I, I I did say uh, at one point out loud, and my missus actually thought I was talking to her, but I wasn't, when, <laughs> when they went 4-1, and then I think that was when Pickford had an incident with uh, the striker where he pushed him. Yeah, I think so. It's just gone four one. They were checking for a penalty, and I did say out loud, "Don't you dare, Everton! Don't <laughs> you dare!" Because this, you know, we were we've had these games every, not not quite like this, but we we were, I remember we we're talking about the Forest match. When you have these opportunities, you one hundred percent have to take them. Um, yeah. and that was the only time my you know school teacher tone, if I've got one, came out a bit um and they didn't there we were fine but um wow um incredible perfect unimaginable unthinkable um but we're there
5: yeah it was amazing and and the, the the belief thing was the biggest thing for me because i think you know we could obviously see it when Deitch came in obviously with that first result against arsenal um a couple of the other games the leeds home game the brentford game and i i think I'm probably not alone in feeling as though it felt as though that was kind of diminishing. That he'd kind of like that that initial bounce had happened, and he'd kind of lost the ability to, I don't know, instill see enough belief in them. And obviously, the Leicester game, you could see that turning. But none of us, I mean, none of us expected what happened, you know, on Monday. Um, yeah, and let's face it. The, the player's belief has been non-existent at times this season and rightly so i think the that early goal certainly helped know, but again i think the Leicester game was was something that that he could could really point to and say you know 23 shots at, at goal a game we really should have won and probably would have done had we not been so you know so sort of loose at the back but I mean, could there have been a bigger contrast between monday's performance and say lampard's last game at, at west ham And when they were just strolling around with absolutely no confidence that they could score a goal, or even that reverse fixture against Brighton in January, I mean, the Dwight McNeil who played in those games doesn't score either of the goals that he did um, at the Amex. The the clumsy Abdullah de who made such a mess of that one-on-one chance against Leeds, I think it was a few weeks back, doesn't steer a volley in like that from 12 yards I mean you know maybe maybe um he scuffs the ball past the post and trips over himself for the for the first goal you know it's it's just amazing what what confidence can do and i think you can see that in a team like brighton who really are bigger than the sum of their parts um you know the way they've been coached to to play uh, whereas you know i think uh, it's been said by some a little hyperbolically in my opinion but they, that, that that this is the worst squad in the division the everton squad Uh, But when it's at full strength, I mean, there's a lot of talent in that side. And we've been saying it for a while on here. Now, that obviously isn't to say that uh, it doesn't have its challenges, particularly against teams who will sit in and more in demand that we try and break them down a bit more um, rather than hit them on the break. But uh, I mean, that was a serious, seriously impressive exhibition of confidence from a group of players Let's face it; who have had every reason to have none after the season they've had. And I was—I mean, I was just laughing in disbelief when McNeil smashed in that fifth goal because, you know, we've watched us go forward in so many games this season in two-on-two or or even two-on-three situations, and had no faith whatsoever that they would execute uh, with either the final ball or the finish. But I mean, they were absolutely ruthless on Monday, and it was magic. And yeah, just to echo the about the fans, it was just brilliant for them. I think I've mentioned on, the, I think I mentioned on the pod before, but I was there at the Amex in October twenty nineteen, on what was another miserable wet day on the South Coast, and we got robbed by that that terrible um, VAR decision, and lost three two, and and just walking out with all the all the with thousands of Blues who went down there, I just felt for them having to make that long journey north after such a deflating result. I mean, of course, we've had so many more days like that since. And I was fortunate enough to just be staying down the road at my mum's place. But it was it just really brought home how hard it can be following this team home and away. And when you hear in the background of that clip that we played at the beginning of the fans singing while De Courier and McNeil were being interviewed on the pitch afterwards, and it's just days like that that you really must make up for um, for weeks of misery in, in, in away games. But uh, let's, uh, let's move on to some specific elements of the, of the match. And let's start with... Um, with Deitch and that decision uh, to finally bring in Yeri Mina. Uh, I mean, this is one of the games where I think singling out a man of the match seems almost harsh because there were some really strong displays. But uh, I mean, let's start with that lineup because I can't have been the only one who felt a little more confident going into a game that we really had to get something out of, you know, as we've said. Once it was revealed that Yeri Mina was starting, obviously the debate around Michael Keane has rumbled on for a while now. And if nothing else, I think the, st- the statistics were becoming pretty damning of Dyche's insistence on keeping um, Michael Keane in the side. Nevertheless, I still expected him to start. I think I put him in my in my predicted lineup on the website. But a fit mean to make such a big difference, doesn't he? L and uh, the manager deserves great credit for making that change, even if some of us felt it was long overdue.
4: Yeah, just real cool. Also, think because after the the Leicester game, I I, I put on social media that for me it felt like he was a a mix of David Moyes and not having the belief to go for a game, and and sort of the stubbornness of Martinez, and I, I was, I was saying, you know, that that combination will drive me up the wall. So, to to see that, you know, journalists have put the question to him in the press conference, and you know, sometimes managers can can double down on these things, and you know, I, I did think Sean Dyche might be one of those managers, but for to see that team sheet, I think, you know, before, um, I think it was uh, Fulham at home. I know that some Blues who went to Goodison that day. So that the team news actually deflated them, uh, you know, in terms of being up for the game, and I think that probably had the adverse effect in, in seeing the team. And so I think, you know, Sean Dyche deserves real praise for that because he's he's obviously come in and he's he's given Connor Cody a chance and then taken him out, and then he's he's stuck with Michael Keane. And I think where I really give him praise is that he clearly does really rate Michael Keane, um, and so to take him out for that game, you know, I think says a lot about his character. So that was really good, and then. I think just Jeremy Mina. You know, I think, you know, he's a he's a leader, but he, I feel like he does lead by example. Um, you know, he's he's an all-action defender. He likes to to block. He likes to head everything, and you know, you notice him on the on the pitch. He's always, you know, sort of encouraging his teammates. And you know, when we've got corners, he'll he'll organise. Um, and I, th- I think it's just a shame his injury record has meant that he's just not had any consistency. Because I, I think a fit Jeremy Mina. You know, Really does help Everton in a massive way. I, th- I think he just completely changes that defensive. He's available every week. Um, it's just amazing what appearances and you know performances can do as well. Because if you'd asked me a month ago about Yeremina's future, I'd have said you know his injury record isn't great, and it, it's one of them where you just let him go. Whereas now, how can you let a player of that um, influence leave if if you can get him to to you know sign another contract? So. It's it's a difficult one for the club because you know it's it is only one game, but what a, what an impact he had and you know I just think that that defence looked better. I think um, obviously we're missing Coleman as well, so I think that was a real boost for Patterson to to have such a good performance. And I think you know not to be too critical of Keane, but I do feel that with Michael Keane that the other defenders suffer a little bit as well. I, I just feel that with Yerry Mina they can all relax and just play a bit more naturally. Whereas I feel like when Michael Keane's in there, all four of the backline are a bit wary. Whereas because Yerry Mina steps up, I think that allows Tarkovsky to step up, who I think again is is more naturally confident, and so he can just get on with his game then rather than being wary that the four isn't as solid as perhaps you know with with a with a proper leader. And again, like I say, that's not to be critical of Michael Keane. I think it's more, it's not even to do about you know with talent or performance. I think it's. It's the mentality. It's how you hold yourself on the pitch. And I think, you know, if, if you're going into a football match with Gary Mina leading things, you know, I think you do get an extra 10% just because he, he's infectious in everything he does. Um, so that was the real plus for me. And I think when you do sort of take a bit of a shock lead and get the second and get the third, you know, in the past, you know, Everton have imploded, haven't they? And sometimes we'll concede one, two, even three, particularly at Goodison. Um, whereas I think with Yeri Mina on the pitch, I think the focus is just there a bit more. And as I say, everybody just stands that foot taller and and digs in a little bit more. Um, So I think he was a a real key inclusion and a, a big factor in the win.
3: I think for me, it became a little bit untenable for Michael Keane to play because there was so much noise about him. You know, like there was a lot of disappointment from the supporters that he was playing and there was a lot of sort of Criticism on social media and players must be aware of this, I imagine. And um, it just became to the point about, you just kind of think if he's put out onto the field, the first any mistake he makes, is just scrutinized even more and more and more. You know, it just became. I thought it's probably for his own good. He got pulled out with the team, and um, I was never that sure about Yerry Mina playing, if I'm honest, just due to his injury record. But oh, he was a warrior, wasn't he? He was. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and, is it, is, it going, is it too far-fetched to say that's his best performance for us? Possibly. It's got to be up there. He, he, he was fantastic. He really sort of, you know, just battled so well. And he was like, he's like, like I was just just mentioned. he's such a good leader leader in there. So, um, yeah, good decision to play. I, 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 absolutely. Um, new contract, I don't know. You have to look at his injury record, don't you, first and foremost. You have to factor all that in. And I'm sure they'll be looking at all that and the wages that he's on and what would he demand and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah. Um, Oh, if you'd have a fit, yeah, I mean, you'd take you'd sign them up immediately, wouldn't you? But, um, yeah, it's great to see him play, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, worked brilliantly Along, alongside Tarkovsky as well, who was just, uh, yeah, it was usual self, brilliant. And, uh, Mikalenko's improved a little bit last couple of games, he was really good. Players, players are picking up, and Nathan Patterson for me was. He was my man of the match, actually Nathan Patterson. Might not be the most. Oh, I don't say. Unpo- I wasn't say an unpopular opinion because there was other, a lot of other contenders. But what he was dealt with, having to deal with um, um, Mitamo, M- 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 is that his name? The um, M- Tomo, the, yeah. the, the, the player, yeah, the player was up against. Uh, I watched um, Man United, Brighton, Man United in the week, and I thought, blimey, watching that, I thought. Patterson's in for trouble here. He's going to have a real tough game. He's going to have a real tough time here, but he was absolutely fantastic. He actually played the key role in the opening goal, didn't he, and winning the ball and getting it up to and He was fantastic. And Maybe you argue whether he's actually mad of the match or not. I was just so pleased for him because he's been thrown in there. He's, he's had to wait for his opportunity and another one which should have been in there sooner, I guess, you'd have to say, but um, I was really made up for him and uh, should give him a lot of belief that he can do it and that I think that was probably what Sean was um concerned about. Has he got the discipline? But you certainly proved that. Um so yeah, man of the match for me was him. But uh yeah, full full marks to Sean Dysh for picking Yebi Mina.
6: Totally agree. Yeah. I think we've all mentioned like a few things that set the tone in this game. You've just mentioned one there Paul, the, the tackle from Patterson. Um Andy you spoke about the, the pirouette from Dominic Calvert lewin and I think El, you've said it with Picking Yerry Mina. I think all, all these things set the tone and obviously we, we then get off to an absolutely perfect start. I think a fit Yerry Mina, which is something we have seldom seen, walks into that Evans side, walks into quite a lot of Premier League sides, which is you know something that can't be said for all of our defenders. He's, he's a very, very talented player who we just haven't got the best out of and sadly will go down as another expensive, not, maybe not a flop because... What I was going to lead on saying is, in the same way that keeping Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit for this final leg of eight, nine games could be vital, I think keeping Mina fit for the next three final games should get us over the line because he does inspire confidence. He is, um, I think you said, Paul, a warrior. Uh, He is someone who wears his heart on his sleeve. He's he's, he's another talismanic figure, which is something else that we've... We've lacked a little bit of him this running, um, but that performance against, against Leicester has clearly lit a fire. And following that up against a very good Brighton side with, as as we've said, some very good attacking players, you need your best players at the back to stand firm to repel that onslaught, which is always going to come, even even with a three-goal cushion, they're always going to come and attack, and they did, and that's why you need the likes of Pickford to be strong, and you need your back four to to bed in, and you need your midfielders to fight and win those individual battles. Um, but having Yeri Mina there is really important. And, and, and yeah, I think Michael Keane's probably had enough stick by now, and Sean Dyche has shown loyalty to some Burnley players to very good effect with with the likes of Dwight McNeil, who I'm sure we'll come on to soon. But I think his decision to kind of slide away from his favourites and, and and look at a player on merit in Yeri Mina has really paid off. And if we can get that little bit out of him, if we can wrap him up in cotton wool for these final three games in a similar way to what we did with Fabian Delph, where we see a player who's quite likely to run down the end of his contract and we wave goodbye. If, if he can have that sort of sunset moment and make a real key difference at this crucial point of the season, then it's suddenly not a bad signing, is it? It's, it's, it's something that could be the difference between uh, success and failure. So I was really pleased for him, but um, it's, it's really hard to talk about individuals, even though he's an obvious one to talk about because he was the inclusion, uh, the unexpected inclusion. It's, it's so hard to pick one because there were, there was there were so many ten out of ten players on the pitch on uh, on Monday. So, but yeah, Yerry certainly stands out in uh, in more ways than one. He's he, he's a character, isn't he? I do. I am really drawn to him. I like him. So, I, 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 I want to see him do well. Um, more more ten out of ten performances. Less um, I don't know shepherding my cars out of Goderson. Eh? <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: <laughs>
6: I can
2: see the I can see the the keen Mina Cody, whoever else debate from both sides. I mean, as we've said a few times since Daesh got here, you know, he he has had to make some pretty big decisions quite quickly. Um, And I can kind of understand it if you've worked with someone before and you've worked with a partnership before, um, which is what he had there. And he kind of knows it works. Well, it did. Uh, He he knows it can work. And I I get, I get as as, as, as somebody who's coming into a firefight, that that's maybe one decision he's made quickly and he was kind of prepared to stand by it. Um, but, um, any pros or any positivity to come from that kind of was ebbing away. I feel like because, you know, when you make a decision like that, if, if you can kind of almost put the center half partnership to bed in your mind in terms of, well, we know those two will kind of work together. That should give us a solid base from my experience. He'll be thinking, um, you know, that could be a masterstroke. It could be something that just clicks into place and he doesn't have to worry about those two. Um, because let's be honest, he's had to worry about plenty in this team over the last few months. So I get why he tried it. And I get why he kind of fast-tracked Michael Keane into the team. What I don't get is why it took so long to change it. Um, because it it wasn't working, was it? You know, it wasn't. Um, and, um well... Yeri Mina is the best centre half at the club. So I can, you know, I, that's the other thing is, is that we, it's not as if he's coming to a team where we haven't really got many centre halves and he's kind of, you know, brought back an old f- flame. You know, it, we have options at centre half, pretty good ones. Um, I don't think Ben Godfrey's covered himself in great light since he has been there. I don't think Mason Holgate has either. So I, I don't think those two are, are necessarily looking to the future. But for, 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 for Mina, Tarkovsky, Branthwaite, you know, he for, he for me, he might have... I mean, if he's kept Mina fit for these few months and you get three games out of him, I wonder whether there might be a change of heart in terms of could we keep him? Will, will this kind of passage of time, like Calvert-Lewin was kind of nursed back in and now we've got a fit and firing Calvert-Lewin who can affect games, might the same kind of happen with Mina, although not quite as deliberately... Um, I don't know, because what's I'm looking too far in front. We've got a relegation battle in front of us. But, you know, (laughs) what is Yeri Mina going to be able to ask for from anyone else? I mean, he may get a big contract somewhere, but I don't know. His record isn't great in terms of playing batches. And I don't know whether he's a popular figure. He's kind of a proven figure if you can keep him fit. Um, if if we all warm to him as five blokes who watch the game, then I'd imagine his teammates are feeling exactly the same, and that's pretty obvious from what you see and hear. I don't know if we can get three games out of him and it all goes well and we stay up. I wonder whether there might be a change of heart on that one, but it can't be on the contract he's on now because it's too much. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm really pleased. The you know, bottom line is I'm really pleased that he's in, and I hope it doesn't change from now until the end. Um it's just a shame it took this long to get there, really.
5: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I think the point was made on another podcast that um that it may have been a case of Deitch trying to get him hundred percent match fit. I mean, who knows? And and it could also have been a an issue of I I I wondered if there was a if it was a, a personality issue that, you because know, I mean yeri's you know, he likes to have a laugh and perhaps the Deitch was looking at uh you know, maybe looking at that and thinking that he needed people that he could trust, people who were going to be 100% focused, which isn't to say that Yerimini wouldn't have been, because he absolutely is. And I think we we all agree that he's the best center uh, half on the books. I think the most important thing that that, that he brings is th- that stability that we've been talking about and how he impacts the rest of the defense is, is exactly it. I mean, if you look at um, uh, James Tarkovsky's performance, he just got on with his own game. I think that's Tarkovsky's best performance in weeks. Just because he had someone completely reliable that he could trust next to him.
3: One thing I did um, actually read somewhere, and I thought, "No, nah, that's surely nonsense." But you, you do actually wonder—is that it was it was someone like if he is there some sort of clause that if he pays a hundred games, Everton have to pay X amount or something like that, because that's his ninety sixth game for Everton. <laughs> with only fleet uh, have to go. At least a maximum of ninety nine. now you'd like to. You'd like to think that was just like, nah come on. But this is Everton, remember? You know. So yeah, that was a uh, something which maybe made me chuckle at first. And I thought, actually, I don't know how true it is, obviously. But just, I just thought that was quite, uh, quite funny. I love
2: that. I love conspiracy theories. Let's have yeah. more
5: of those. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Reverse Michael Ball, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah
5: i <laughs> I think when you look at the uh if you look at the economics of it combined with his fitness record, I would be very surprised if we kept him beyond this summer um I just think that we'd almost collectively as a club decided that this was going to be the end of his his time with us as i say as you say, if you could keep him fit, if you could guarantee that he would be fit and he wouldn't ask for extortionate wages, then you'd absolutely keep him but i I just think it's the club would view it as a risk and you've got someone on 120,000 pounds a week who's, who's, you know, hardly kicked the ball this season. I'm sure they'll look at it in in those, in those terms, but you know, who knows stranger things have happened.
6: I think if you could guarantee to keep him fit for a season, then he'd probably be playing for Barcelona still, wouldn't he? That's, that's the difference. He's, he's a, he's a very good footballer on his day. So that's true too. I I see him winding his career down somewhere and a slower pace. Um, but yeah, three cup finals for him.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
3: I don't, I don't think we can really afford to get too emotional emotionally attached to it either, really, like, like as you just mentioned, Lyndon, for the, for, the, for them reasons really. And you could already see it, couldn't you? Of like how he breaks down, start next season and then everyone's going mad again of all oh, bloody hell, same old Everton, two Nikes, you know what I mean? It's just uh, you could always see <laughs> it, couldn't you? But yeah, I wish I wish he could be fit and I wish he would be a bit more available. It, it's one that, some players you do Feel sad seeing them go but I think probably one of them you have to sort of accept that you would probably have to go in my opinion but who knows let's see
2: I just think that Everton even if they stay up even if we stay up Everton may not be in a position to attract someone with his ability um, now that's obviously loads of caveats to that in terms of fitness but in terms of r- actual raw ability I don't know whether we would be a destination for someone who's that good Um so you know, it's it's always been a huge toss up, hasn't it? You know, in terms of what you do with him and when you do it, you know, um, because of that record he's got. But um yeah, I I don't know. Um I doubt they will I, I doubt they'll renew it either. But it's just it it just I just thought the other day that, you know, Sean Deitch as a centre half himself would have probably looked at that and thought, Okay, I've got a really good one here. How how best do we get you know, can this work going forward? Um and it may be that it can't, but
3: Forget a transfer ban, I bet he gets a one year extension pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got that looming, haven't we?
5: Yeah. Well, I mean if if we stay up and we escape a transfer ban, I think um I would really enjoy just like a full podcast on just how and where recruitment goes under Sean Deitch's manager. You know, given given his his past and what we really don't know about him in terms of what kind of manager he could become. I think it's going to be it's a fascinating um, fascinating discussion about the kinds of players we go for, the kinds of players we're sort of able to attract and want to attract, um, you know, if we stay up. And, and obviously if he stays on, which, I mean, there's no reason why he wouldn't, I'm sure. And I, so the other big call that he made involves a, a potential potential rumored departure this summer in, in a certain Belgian midfielder. But obviously Deitch kept James Garner in the team um, and Onana on the bench, I think the consensus was that, that was also the right decision because Ghana had another really good game and was really unfortunate not to get his first goal. And then Anana steps off the bench and weighs in with a beautiful assist at the end. Uh, all of a sudden, it feels like the manager has um, a little bit of depth in the, in the squad in certain areas, doesn't it, Andy?
2: Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, we haven't spoken about Damari Gray in the last few weeks, and he is a genuine impact player who has impacted... Big games for us as well, and he hasn't had a look in over the last few days, a few few games. Um, you've got uh, you you've got a little bit of depth there. Um, I'm pleased he kept it as it was because I think James Garner. If, if you if you're going to put James Garner against Onana and write down all their stats and what you think they're good at and what you think they're not good at, I think Onana is probably um, probably the more impressive potential player, the oppressive midfielder. But what Ghana brings in terms of balance to what we're trying to do, you know, Decore can go off <laughs> on his uh, magical mystery tour wherever he ends up.
4: <laughs> um,
2: and you know, we, we, no one knows where that is. I don't think he knows where he's going <laughs> half the time. But, it, you know, it, 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 it does leave the two there with a bit more balance. Um, it, you know, Ghana Gay will be the firefighter, will be the legs, will, will cover ground. Ghana does cover legs as well. But when he gets the ball, he's progressive and he picks the right pass, which I don't think DeCore has ever really done. You know, he's not that kind of midfielder. And at times, Onana has struggled with that side of his game as well. Um, he's kind of a a bit more of a, a kind of a an unknown quantity on Onana, especially with the ball. And I, I just think Garner, James Garner, at the moment, gives us a, a much better balance in midfield. Um, And i say that might change in the summer. Who knows? I mean, you know, uh, we don't know Decore staying yet, do we? So uh, Onana maybe could be the, you know, if he's going to play the same way next season, let's hope it's in the Premier League. Um, Maybe Onana would be kind of Decore mark two. Uh, Who knows? But uh, there is a little bit of depth there. If you look, if you you kind of squint and look quite hard, there is a little bit of depth there. And, um, (laughs) you know, uh, but... So, um, but but I'm pleased he kept it as it was because I've been impressed with James Garner. It, it, in a kind of not in a kind of outrageous way, you know, like when Onana first came into the team, we were all like, "Oh wow, this kid's this kid's got everything." Garner isn't like that, but he's just very steady and very um, very methodical with his game, and and, and it, it makes us a better team with him in it. I think at the moment, anyway, in, in terms of the the lineup and the balance he's got. Yeah.
4: But I will be a bit more outrageous in my opinion of him and say that I think he's he's the future and I think genuinely Everton need to build a team around him where he is part of that spine because I, I just think he's terrific and it's it's for all the reasons you said, Andy. Just he controls everything. It's the balance he gives and I think he's probably the the midfielder who's got all that since Gareth Barry. I, I don't think we've had someone like that. I know Andre Gomez did occasionally. But I just think in terms of how he controls the game, um, how he goes forward but also how he goes back, I just think it's a terrific sign and it's just a shame that he's been injured for so long because I think he would have had more of an impact. And I, I completely agree, Andy, that you know, an honor will probably give you more wow moments. But I think James Garner probably does about ten more a game that go under the radar. That you know, I think that you know, for all the the brilliant stuff that happened on, on Monday night at Brighton. It was actually him putting his foot in on the edge of the area that led to the the counter attack for the second goal. Um, and I don't think we've had enough midfielders who were who were able to just put their foot in but get the ball moving as well. Um, so I, I just think he's a terrific player, and I think I think that's something about Man United players in general, how they're taught that. The, the few that we've had, I mean, I'd include you know Darren Gibson. I know he wasn't you know uh, an outstanding signing, but he would always get his head up. And he'd always play forward passes and he'd always keep us ticking over. So, for me, whichever league Everton are in, whatever happens next, I think James Garner is probably in the top three most important players going forward for the future of the football club. I, I, I truly believe he's that good. And I think that, you know, if he's fit, I think he's a, a regular in that midfield because I think what you said, Andy, about balance, I think whichever midfielder comes in, he complements them really well. So, if he's next to a guy, he can be the ball player, the one who does get forward a little bit and makes things happen. If he's with the core, he can just sit a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I have been outrageous in my opinion there, but I, I just think he's a terrific player. And, yeah, he's not going to give you those wow moments, but, you know, 10 times a game, he'll do something that is just really effective, really efficient. And, yeah, I think he's a key player going forward. I really do. I
6: think... Balance is is the key word there that you, that you've both said. I think at, at the moment that midfield is is more balanced with James Garner in it. I think Anana is so young; he could be any of those three midfielders we've got. He could be the destroyer like Adrissage. He could be a rangy box to box player like Decoré. He could he could sit deep and play passes like he did for that fifth goal. Um, I think we don't know yet, and. You're right, Ellie. He, he does provide that wow factor. He's clearly got a very high threshold for potential, um, but that in itself speaks volumes about how good Garner's been since he came into the, into the side. I think if you can keep a player of that ability out, it benefits the side because, again, you said it earlier, Andy. Competition it's a great thing. It increases levels. It means that we're not having to play an Arna through the pain barrier or or play a very young player and expect too much of him. We can have someone like that on the bench, come off the bench and make an impact. Isn't that a, a novel idea? It's great. And that's what happened on Monday. It bodes well. The kind of elephant in the room is, will he still be here come the end of the season, regardless of our position? Who's to say? But I think we've said a few times, Anana is a player to enjoy. I think it was a a major major get to 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 even get him to the club it was it was unexpected and i think um quite an atypical signing um for us over the years buying potential at a high price but with a very high ceiling to make a profit um it's not really how we've operated much so let's enjoy him but I, I, I think you're right, El. Uh, I, I don't think it's too outrageous to say that I'd, I'd like to see, yeah, Garner sort of cement his place in that side and really take us forward. Because I think, like all the players who played well on Monday, um, they inspire confidence. I think he does that. He just he he looks after the ball, does the simple things well, and he's got a, a little bit of steel to go over silk as well. So um, yeah. Look forward to seeing more of him. And again, if we can keep these players at that same level, if Decore still is playing like a man possessed who just really wants that one extra year, great. Because we will get through this next couple of games and we will sort of secure our place in the league. So that's that's all we can ask for, isn't it?
3: El, I, uh, I take your point of uh, Ghana is so central to everything and I raise it by saying uh, <laughs> it's probably potentially the best thing we've had in there since maybe you since, but I think maybe potentially since Arteta. Potentially. You know, that's a that's available too so he was I think my all time Premier League favourite player for Everton, I think. Um now I'm not trying to say he's he's bang as good as Arteta, but he's he's got he's got great nows. 'cause he's got he's 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 a good thinker, you can see that. But he's got that grittiness before which Arteta had as well. Um it's really like and he can pick a pass, he can play a ball. As he gets more confident in running games, you can see him scoring goals as well, taking much more set pieces. You know, you can see him um, having a role potentially a, a little bit, you know, a little bit more attacking than he's having the opportunity to do. He probably should have scored actually on on Monday have been 4-0 by half-time. <laughs> Are you disappointed coming off to get a half-time that you're not 4-0 four, up, by the way? <laughs> but uh, I totally agree on James Garner. Um, I think he looks a really good player. I was really disappointed after we, we drew at Palace and I thought he played really well. And then he was dropped to the next game against Newcastle when we lost, and I couldn't quite understand that. But um seems to be in one of the games now, and I think we'll be, we'll be better for it by the end of the season, definitely. And then good springboard, hopefully, for him to kick on that next season. Talk of, talk a lot about um, what would it would be like if you had Dominic carvalho available just for half the season, don't you, yeah, in, in, in terms of what we'd have had up front. Um, but, yeah, you, you're right, really. If gone hadn't got that like back injury, it was quite a strange injury to sort of get, really, wasn't it? That, that put him out for... Four months, something like that—a long, a long chunk of the season—and uh, maybe just when he was getting going, so uh, could have been a big loss for the for the whole season as well. and Had he been fit, well, then again, maybe Frank Lampard would still be in the job. So, maybe, maybe, maybe not the, maybe not the worst thing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Just looking at it more general, more generally, um, and I'm not. This isn't the kind of Sean Dyche fan club here, kind of starting up. But um, although I rate him, um, I. It doesn't look like what I expected. I mean, obviously, when you won five one, obviously nothing really looks at you as you expect. But like this, the last few games, there has definitely been a push of the button of we've got to go and win some football matches. And I was I was concerned that we would not have that. I was thinking, you know, if we're going to win a game, like we all were at the beginning, if we're going to win a game, it's going to be one nil. You know, uh, if we concede the first goal. Which still hasn't really been rectified, but let's say you know we're a bit more free scoring now. If we if we can see the first goal, then we're going to struggle. Um, I thought we would we would almost get there if we're going to get there to safety. We'd almost get there a point a game. Can we be hard to beat? Can we pick keep keep picking up the odd point, the odd point, and it might be enough at the end. At no point, obviously, did I see us doing what we did at the weekend. But in general, I think there's been. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really quite impressed and quite refreshed by what I've seen them at least try to do. Um, in the last two games, have obviously we've seen we scored seven goals, um, six from open play, um, and that's that's a lot more than I that's a lot more than I thought this group of players was capable of. Let alone the manager in charge of them. Um, and fair play to them, you know they they they've obviously looked at the table, which is you know maybe it's a Kind of part desperation and part by design, but they've they've gone out to win the last two games away from home. Make no doubt about that. And I'm not sure I thought we had that in us to try and start mm-hmm. on the front foot like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it bodes well if if we can get over the line. It bodes well that well, I think we've got a manager there and a staff there
6: who can do different things. It's it's worth saying as well that it's it's seven goals in the space of a week away from home. Seven goals away from home is the span from the first of October away at Southampton until the twenty seventh of April. That's how many goals we managed in that time away from home. Bloody Thirteen arm. games, seven goals, and we've just matched it. So
4: Yeah and to add to that as well, when you think of how bad our away record has been We've now scored more goals on the road than we have at Goodison, and thirty three percent of our goals this season have come on the South Coast and East Midlands. Yeah. <laughs> a third of all our goals when we play on Merseyside—it's just—it's just crazy. But I, I think you make a really good point, Andy. You know that it's we're combative, aren't we? And you know we've we're, we're disciplined, and there's that defensive element. But we can score goals. You know, the, the seven this week, we've scored two at Nottingham Forest. You know, that's... You know, that's already more than, you know, half the, of the, the total away goals we've scored all season. So, it just shows that, you know, it's it's probably quite similar to David Moynes, really. That David Moynes probably gets, uh, you know, the narrative around him is that he's a defensive manager. But we all saw, you know, when he had the likes of Pinar, Baines, Arteta, Fellaini, Cahill, Osman, that team could play. And I feel that, Sean Dyche is very similar, that the team will be hard to beat and they'll be disciplined, but when we do get the ball forward, we will move it really well. Um, And so I think that's where I see him being a really good fit for Everton because we all talk about that, you know, the front foot football, um, and and I think he'll give us that, but there's almost that pragmatism as well that we probably didn't get with Lampard, where, you know, we'll play good football, but we'll get the results to go with it as well. Um, so, yeah, just, just incredible the way, you know, away from home. As, as you say, Adam, seven goals in that time frame compared to the, the previous six months shows that there's something, you know, really good happening. And as you mentioned, Andy, you know, Damari Gray hasn't got a look in those games. And probably two months ago, if you'd have said, where's Everton's goal threat, it's it's Damari Gray, isn't it? Um, so that does ju- just show really the the improvement. And I, I think it's what you, what you mentioned before about... You know the players have gone into that game with an air of confidence and an air of calm, um, and I think that's just what sets the ball rolling.
5: Yeah, I think the uh, the key to it has been Daisha's use of Dukure and obviously the return of calvert Lewin, as it makes such a difference. I mean, if you, if you think of the way that we we came into the season with the transfer business that we did in the summer, thinking that you know we've more or less got a, a fairly decent team certainly one that would keep us out of the trouble that we had last season. And all it needed was that striking addition um, if Calvert-Lewin wasn't going to be fit. But now that he's there, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have to score. And obviously he hasn't scored in, in open play since the Palace game, I think, because the goal at Leicester was obviously a penalty. But, I mean, just the, uh, the dimension that he adds to that team – um, it's very similar to the you know to what mina's offered offered at the back of on on monday it's just it just adds confidence that we can go forward and we've got a player who can who can hold the ball up and you know not only do that and win his headers but lay on a goal the way that he did for Cure. i mean it's just it, it 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 just transforms the whole you know the whole mood around the camp of what what can be achieved and what is possible um and i think that um you know, Dwight McNeil is the is the other one that we haven't really said much about. Who I think was was my man of the match. Just the the confidence that he's taken, I and mean, he's had a bit of a new lease of life with obviously with the and calvert loon back in there. You know, two two really good goals, and you know this from a player who's who's you know who's smashed his his fair share of, of shots wide and 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 sort of run down blind alleys and before, but I think as a podcast we've sort of made the argument that he's young and you know there's plenty more to come from Dwight McNeil when I think certain people were writing him off as as another 20 million pound flop uh i think he's now starting to show um definitely what he's what he's capable of and how he can be a really sort of vital vital member of the team going forward but particularly over these next over these next three games. So it's uh it's 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 amazing how quickly things can change. Um again, you know, there we are gonna have we still do have those issues where we need to sort of play through teams uh, and be a bit more inventive about our play rather than hitting teams on the break, and that will hopefully come. But uh you just feel as though we've got goals on us now, and that's hugely important, obviously. It goes without saying.
3: Yeah. Uh, full crew, lost to Dwight McNeil. He works ever so hard, doesn't he? For this, he's probably he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. I would have thought, particularly with uh, Sean Dyche. But um, gotta just give credit to both player, manager, coaching staff for getting you know for getting so much out of him uh, compared to what we were getting. And I think back to the, uh, the the fixture at home to Brighton, which is a real certainly if not the low point of the season, certainly it's certainly right up there or, or down there, whichever way you look at it. The um, that four one hammering, and I was. Uh, I was in the corporate lines that day, and I got so when he got when he got hauled when he got substituted, and he got very really roundly booed off. You could see he was. I, I saw I a very good view of his face as he got, and he just looked absolutely broken. He looked so so distraught. You felt just felt so sorry for. him. We couldn't wait to get off the pitch. I think he was like running off before his name was called. I think he was because I just felt so sorry for him. He just looked looked devastated, and you never in a million years would you so you you see in like uh, when you're playing Brighton. I don't know. 18 games later, whatever, it is. he's doing, saluting the crowd and getting the V's flicked at him by the home crowd because he's uh, just rubbing the faces in it. And uh, he must <laughs> had a very nice moment from that that personal journey from there to there. It was fantastic and uh, good on him. Uh, really, really pleased to see him uh, see him come out come out with the better side of that and uh, making a huge con- contribution to the team. He's just got to do it for three more games. We can't. We're talking like without the woods, aren't we? And <laughs> we all know we're not. You know, I mean, we've got. To, I'm not saying don't enjoy it, but. Um, yeah, we've got to keep our feet on the ground. I mean, we'll come on to, we're coming to the City game soon, I'm sure. And, you know, Leeds, I think it's one of the unfeasible to so Leeds beat Newcastle. Then we're, we're starting, we're going into game against Man City in the bottom three. And, you know, so we've got, we've got a lot to do yet, but City uh, can give you the confidence and you're right. There's goals in us now and hopefully that'll, that'll be the big factor in, um, in keeping us up and be yeah, at the back, of course. But, um, and we haven't mentioned Pickford, but you might want to come to him. But I'll let somebody else talk about Dwight McNeil first.
6: We we could do a whole episode on Dwight McNeil, really, couldn't we? Because it is a it is a, <laughs> it is a great redemption story, and 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 as you sort of referred to, and um always good to feel vindicated as a collective podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's he's been very very impressive um, in in the last couple of games. Um, his work rate particularly since since Deitch came to a club um, that hasn't been in question he's he's worked his absolute socks off but I thought and it, and it probably does come back to having Calvert-Lewin up there I think I said a couple of weeks ago that we needed to get used to having a centre forward again we, we need to get used to having Calvert-Lewin in the side and find that rhythm yeah. again and that hopefully those attacking plays would start to just take a little bit longer and I think the the first assist from McNeil for Decore's sumptuous volley um that, that little extra second he takes to pick the pass that extra moment we see it again for Iwobi's threaded pass through for McNeil pretty poor defending from Brighton that one but j- just someone running beyond a defender and and really kind of having the confidence in themselves and then and then that finish we, we've not seen a pre-goal celebration since Ross Barkley's um <laughs> so mm. Embarrassing moment against Bournemouth, um, which, if, if we do, if, if Dwight McNeil does that against Bournemouth on the last day of the season when we're comfortably ensconced in, I don't know, 15th place, then uh, excellent. But I think that, that sort of moment speaks to how confident um, he's become. And I think it was fitting as well. I, I think before Monday, the only time I've really felt confident at any point during a game. Was that that game against Palace where Dwight McNeil scored late on, and it, it was only really after that goal that I felt confident. <laughs> it was that's how much we've had to hang on, and we we said earlier, even at three 0 you're you're still thinking when does this go wrong? Having the players confident feeds back into the fans, and I think we'll we'll need that for these last three games. And Dwight McNeil's a great example of that, and it's 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 a great turnaround. As I say, we, we could we could talk for hours about him, about Jordan Pickford, about about pretty much every player on the pitch. Um, but yeah, McNeil is a is an obvious story to to home in on because fantastic. And and we've not even spoken really about that last goal. It's just it's it's a wonderful goal. It would it would normally be the only thing we'd speak about for an hour, but it it was it was a mere footnote. What a what a night! But. I, I feel your caution Paul as well so i'll uh, I'll stop before I get too carried away
4: yeah for me I, I just think dwight McMessie. I, I think it the, the goal where he's walked the ball in. I just think he's he is really sort of my type of player in you know that, that cultured left foot, he's so technically gifted and I think to be fair to him, I think he does I think it's just the general demeanor. He does look quite laborious, and I think when you're on the, when you're getting beat, I think that's probably one of the first players you go to, just just because that's how he comes across. I, I don't necessarily think that he hasn't worked as hard as anybody else or anything like that, but I am just really pleased for him because I know he has come in for criticism at the start of the season. But as you said, Adam, that you know the the goal he scored against Palace was another brilliant goal, which you know takes so much skill and so much technical ability to to pull off. And I think, you know, the thing is, is what I mentioned before about Brighton being a really good side. It's the fact that, you know, he's put Lewis Dunk on his backside. He was probably having his, his finest season ever. um, And to, and to just have that, you know, that little bit of noce to, to jink on the ball and then carry it round, And, you know, the confidence to, to then stroll, <laughs> roll it in and to be celebrating before it goes in. That was, that's one of my favorite moments, you know, in, in ages because I just, it was just so good to see him just, just thriving. And I think, as you mentioned, Linden, I think it is it is all down to Calvert-Lewin. Because I think particularly, if you look at the, the counter-attacking goal, second one, McNeil runs down, and then he's got, a will be on the edge of the area, Calvert-Lewin's running in and then he's got Decore at the back post. Now, if you haven't got Calvert-Lewin there, now, if you've got Damari Gray up there as the number nine, or even Neil Morpé, they're not making that run. And all of a sudden, McNeil... Divers. He maybe takes a shot from a tight angle and it goes over the bar. He maybe puts his foot on it and goes back and gives it to Mikolenko. It doesn't happen. Whereas with Calvert Lewin in that position, that focal point, everybody can face forward, everybody can, you know, get the ball into into a certain area. And I think I would go as far as saying that for all the issues at the football club, Dominic Calvert Lewin, unfortunately being sidelined, is probably the thing that has hindered us most because he is so integral, because it's it's not just a case that Everton went out and signed Neil Morpe. They needed somebody, basically they needed a replica of Calvert-Lewin. You know, we, we weren't going to be able to sign somebody as good as Calvert-Lewin, but we needed somebody tall, we needed somebody who ran the channels, we needed somebody strong, we needed somebody who knew where to be, so that Abdalike Decore can make the back post run. So that you know he can make the 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 other run for calvert Lewin to play him in. So so for me, I've i felt harsh on McNeil because you know he was signed probably to be putting balls into Dominic calvert Lewin's head, and Dominic calvert Lewin just hasn't been there. So for me, you know some some people may be still even you know I'm I've been part of the Dominic calvert Lewin fan club since since he arrived pretty much because I just think he had so much potential, but. I think even now I, I still don't think Calvert Lewin gets the credit that he deserves and he he isn't talked about in the in the same sphere as the top top strikers. And I think, you know, he didn't get his name on the score sheet at Brighton, but he was integral to that win. Because it, it, it's just about the little subtle movements, it's about the way he holds the ball up and just gives his teammates an extra three, four seconds. Um so for me he's you know, along with, you know, Pickford, he is far and away our you know key player in the, in the last few seasons uh, and it's been a match winner even when he hasn't got his name on the score sheet so you know it's I, I, I talk a lot about relationships on the pitch you know if if Lewin is to stay next season and he can be fit I'm really excited to see how he and Dwight McNeil forge a partnership and also how that gets the best out of you know a number 10 or another winger or you know even our even our central midfielders as well so I think you know Dwight McNeil I think is just going to go strength to strength and I think it's really good that we do have his his former Burnley manager and you know, just a few stats I was looking at that Dwight McNeil this season for Everton has now matched his goal scoring tally for his entire time at Burnley which is four or five years and he's got more goals and assists this season than Anthony Gordon has in the last two combined. You know the bloke who kept us up single-handedly last season? Dwight McNeil now has more goal contributions than him so... (laughs) You no, know, I think for a player who was, you know, criticised, he's he's just really kicked on, and I'm just really pleased for him.
2: He's actually better than I thought he he was, Dwight McNeil, and uh, and it, it, you know there are several parts to his game that I didn't realise were actually there. Um, what I thought we had was kind of. Do you remember Billy Eptingoff? You know that kind of put the ball anywhere on his left foot, and so, you know he's got the ability to. Pick out anything, a goal, a pass, whatever. But you're never really going to get that forward motion with him. I thought we were getting that kind of mark too, but Dwight McNeil, his 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 dribbling is actually a, one of his stronger points. He doesn't he, he doesn't do it with lightning pace, but he does it where it's very hard to get the ball off him, um, and he does actually move us up the pitch. Um, he's a much better player. Than what I thought we were getting, to be honest. I, 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 and I, I thought we were actually getting quite a bright young talent, but he, he is better than, than, um, than, the, than the, uh, certainly the player we first saw, but also the player I thought we would eventually get. Um, again, talking a bit more generally, this is, I mean, it, this is all, it's all positive from from that Brighton and from the Leicester result in a way because we've 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 had a hard time at Goodison recently. And very recently, you know, Fulham, Newcastle, uh, Spurs was frustrating. You know, um, there have been some real frustrations at Goodison. And you can just imagine that Man City coming to Goodison, if we hadn't had the last week or so, it might have been a certain type of Goodison. I think now it might be a different one. Um, You know, almost the kind of, you know, the time away from each other sometimes helps, doesn't it? Um, and <laughs> and I think we come, the team come back to Goodison very a very different one than 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 left. If you see what I mean, and I think now, especially because we got the five goals and the three points, and hopefully we're still out of the relegation zone by the time we kick off, which would be an absolute bonus. But it's very likely, it's likely. Um, then I think that, that that occasion has a different feel to to what maybe we might have expected a fortnight ago. Um, and it almost has that kind of, well, not free hit, but it's more of a free hit having got the three points at Brighton. And it's, it, there, there may well be a bit more confidence. There will be a bit more confidence, a bit more calm, a bit more... Um, kind of poise I guess from 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 what we saw in the Newcastle and the Fulham and I just think it's all worked perfectly to lead to the Man City game um especially as they they have two mammoth matches either side of it and I was really pleased with the scoreline in the first leg against Madrid because that leaves the whole thing on a knife edge you know I think if they'd even won or lost the game it might have been a bit different but the fact they drew um it, 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 I, th- I think that's it's kind of all it's all led to this point in the last fortnight pretty perfectly for Everton, really. I know we could have won at Leicester and maybe we should have won at Leicester and that would have been amazing, but um, I think th- that set of circumstances that I've just run through gives us the best chance to get something against Man City. And if we do, then well, we're, we're I don't depending on other results, of course. Um, if, if the other results go to form and you know the, the, the other two teams that we're now co- looks like we're competing directly against lose. Um, even a point would be it could be deciding, couldn't it?
5: Yeah, could be. Could be massive. Um, I mean, there's no question that performance against Brighton showed what we're capable of, particularly against teams who like to play that way with a lot of possession, get forward, can sometimes play a high line. I mean, Brighton, obviously a very good side, but they're not City. Um, who haven't dropped any points since uh, f- mid-February? Uh, they're on a ten-match winning streak. Uh, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, Southampton under Nathan Jones beat them in the FA Cup. Uh, Forrest held them to that draw in February, but, but this is going to be um, really, really tough. Uh, Paul, what are you expecting from Sunday?
3: Well, obviously the you know the the likelihood is Manchester City will win, of course, but I mean. <laughs> Perversely, almost, I kind of like them sort of stats of like uh, they haven't lost in ten. Also, they won mm-hmm. every game in ten because it's got yeah. to give somewhere, hasn't it? You know, so mm-hmm. it's uh, so glass half full with that. Um, I guess one thing that worried me a little bit watching them against um, Real Madrid though was uh, you did right, Andy, going into that. I thought, well, if they can, you know, if they can be going into the second leg. Um, you know, still in that contest, not five up, not five down, or whatever, then it's it's all alive, it's all to play for, then you might rest a few players. But then they looked at their bench and they didn't make a single sub in that game. Um and Marvez and Foden didn't play a single minute. So all of a sudden a few players have come in. One, they want well, obviously the fresh, and two, they're probably chomping at the bit to be involved on the on, on, on the Tuesday as well. So, you know, whichever team plays, let's face it, it's gonna be very, very tough. But uh one thing in our favour. I mean, if if, we, if this game was four or five games ago, you'd say City would have, would have walloped us, I would have thought, because we wouldn't have been able to give Manchester City anything to worry about. We would have had the Corbys suspended, a um, lot of midfielders out of form, no Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, now, uh, as you we say, we're scoring um, we're scoring a lot of goals. We've got Dominic fit and playing very, very well. You know, we've got um, things that can... Yeah, you know, Man City, Manchester City is so good. They, they obviously come up against bigger tests than Everton and the, um, you know, they didn't say really worry about us so much, but they'll have to think about us, they'll have to think about something else. So, um, it just gives us a chance. And the home crowd, if we can get into them quick and get into them early and get the crowd up, hell, even get an early goal, then who knows? So, let's not right off, um, and let's just give it everything. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you never know.
4: Yeah, I, I agree, Paul. That it's it's when, when a team is on that winning run, I think it was the same. With Brentford, it does almost give me a bit more confidence and I think. I sort of mentioned a few weeks back that it felt like the season's passed us by a bit without much narrative, if that makes sense. You know, last season we had, like, Myra the dog before Chelsea. We had the incident of the just-stop oil against Newcastle and Awobi, Whereas this season, it didn't feel as storied as that. And I feel like now that we've, you know, got that big win at Brighton, if I had my pick, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't like to play Man City, but I feel like I've got a, a confidence going into the game and I know that, you know, fans talk about, you know, it's sort of that chicken and egg debate about whether the fans need to get behind the players first or whether the players need to give us something. And I, I just think that, you know, that the players at Brighton have handed over the baton to us. I, I'll be bouncing to Goodison Park on Sunday now and, you know, I always am right behind them. But, you know, I'll give it real gusto This this... Uh, this week because I've, they've shown me something that I can really get behind. Um, and I feel that that's what has been lacking in the last two seasons. I want I want something to believe in. I want something to really, you know, back. And I feel like that Brighton game they've shown in 90 minutes that they can play the perfect game. Um, and I, I think, as Paul mentioned as well, that, that Champions League game, you know, there's never a perfect time to play in Man City, but I think we're pretty close to it. And I think it's, it's just... I think it's key for the fans that, you know, I think I'm guilty of it, that, you know, Newcastle, um, Fulham, Tottenham, if things aren't going well because of the situation we're in, you can get a little bit irritated. Whereas I think because of what they've done at Brighton, I think they'll get an extra 10% from the fan base. You know, uh, any straight passes, as long as the tackles are there and the effort's there, I think we'll be right behind them. And I think, as you mentioned, Paul, if an early goal... Could be huge. It could be massive. Um and I just think, you know, they are a, a ball playing side and I think that, you know, what I was really something else that we haven't mentioned was the the pressing elements of the game at Brighton. Um and you know, yeah, they've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne in Harlem but we've got Dwight McNeil. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it should be a good contest.
6: Yeah, I mean we're we're gonna score five, aren't we? So I guess it's just keeping Man City quiet enough, really. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think i I wouldn't say i'm I'm buoyant but i'm buoyed um I'm, I'm optimistic that we could get something out of this game we we, we got something out of the, the return fixture and we were a much more disjointed side back then um under mm, a pretty chaotic okay. manager so any any kind of result I'd go as far as to say any kind of performance after these two very strong away performances, one of which was stronger than we ever imagined, would go a massive way into, into those final two games, which obviously on paper are a lot easier. As we've said, never a good time to play a side like this. However, sandwiched in between where their focus arguably lies, even though I'm sure Pep will come out and say that's not the case, that's that's probably as good as we're going to get against uh, a very tight side who, As you said, Paul, their bench frightens me. Their bench is probably ahead of where Brighton's very, very good attacking first team is. But I think we're right to look at the questions we posed in those last two games where we've created chances. We've got uh, Calvert-Lewin looking fit. We've got a striker who's running at defenders. I think bar Ellis Sims against Chelsea in that late cameo, We've not seen that for a long, long time. So seeing, seeing him do that from from the first whistle against Brighton, um, that that bodes well for what we will need to do against City, which is not just hold tight and wait for the barrage of attacks, but we, we need to cause them some problems, make it really tough for them, make it tough the way that we used to do against a good, although not as great. Manchester City side back in the day, where we, you know, we we, we got some big results with the likes of um, Tim Kale, um PR back in the day. So I think making making Goodison a bear pit and getting anything out of that game would be massive. And hopefully, with some other results, hopefully, 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 hopefully going our way, um, we can we can breathe a little bit easier. And this this monster podcast, uh, <laughs> as we extol all the virtues of Monday. Uh, will not just seem like <laughs> hyperbole; it will be completely worth it and justified. Just to add to the monster, I've just realised
2: that there must, <laughs> there must be something in that number seven shirt at this time of year. You know, we we was we was we were talking about <laughs> who is going to be the Richardson, who is going to be the one that just does something that we no one expected or something out of nothing, rabbit out of the hat, and there you go—is McMessy, isn't it,
5: <laughs> <laughs> McMessy? <laughs> yeah, I, I, the two things that, that kind of stood out for me uh, from the Leeds and Real Madrid against Manchester City were the on, on the one hand, um, you can defend your box diligently for 90 minutes, but they can just smash one in from 20 yards. And there's sometimes there's very little you can do to legislate against that. And that was kind of the thing that frightened me was that, you know, Gundogan lashing one in as well as Leeds had kind of defended. And the same thing with De Bruyne, that finish against Real Madrid. But the other thing was that they can be um, quite rattled. Uh, when when Leeds made it 2-1, that was not an easy final 10 minutes for City whatsoever. Um, and I just think that if we could get under their skin a bit, get under Guardiola's skin a little bit, you know, because that kind of that irritation, I think, from the bench kind of feeds into the players a bit. Um, so that's the, the, those are the kind of the, the things that I'm hoping that we can do is just kind of just get under their skin a bit. Um, and I think that you know, with with the, the players that we have now available, I think now is the best time that we that Everton could be playing City, uh, and particularly on the back of that result, um, you know, they can go in there and, and and kind of view it as a bit of a free hit, but also know that they can they can cause them problems. And you know, at the end of the day, as I as I always say, it's eleven against eleven. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get something out of it. It'd be great if we could. You're listening to the Toffee Web Podcast. So just to go back to the Brighton game, uh, and let's put this one in context. Uh, A Premier League team putting five past another is pretty significant. Uh, Doing it away from home is even more impressive. Uh, Since the World Cup, Brighton uh, had only lost twice at home uh, to Arsenal and Fulham. Uh, They'd won four of their last five, just put six past Wolves, I think if they'd won all three of their games in hand coming into Monday's game, it would have put them in fifth place. Uh, On the flip side, obviously, this was Everton's side that, uh, since winning at the Amex in August 2021, had won just two away games, uh, were the lowest scoring team in England. And no team sitting in the bottom three had beaten a top seven side for two years. So, uh, putting all that uh, in context, I think in 37 years, as an Evertonian, I can't recall a more surprising result. Uh, so for this, week, for this week's question, I'll ask you fellas, if that wasn't the case for you, can you remember a more surprising result or at least one that comes close?
3: I'll go for it if no one else will. Uh, if you're all too chicken. <laughs>
5: uh,
3: <laughs> um, the, my thought process with it is that the, I mean, the easy thing would be like, I don't know, FA Cup final 1995 is about as surprising as you can probably get, I imagine. Um, going on back a long time there. But I think it's kind of dependent on how did the last result go or how it was formed before that, for example, and stuff like that, which can, can lead to a surprise result. And one for me was uh, we lost the, um, Wembley 2 1 to Liverpool um, in the last minute. And that felt like season over. And we lost 2 1. And that was. You know, we weren't going to the final, not a lot to play for left. And then the next game was away at Old Trafford and thought, oh, well, that's going to be a walloping, isn't it? And uh, we drew 4-4 um, in an incredible game. So, uh, it wasn't a win, but certainly to, to see some fight and some character, <laughs> was I like, surprised? Hell yes. So, um, yeah, that was one for me. Just um real, real eye-opening performance. You just think, where the bloody hell was that on, uh, <laughs> on the Saturday previously? But, um, yeah, that's that, that's my one, the 4-4 at Old Trafford. And, yeah, um, April 2012.
2: I'm going to go for us scoring five away from home because we never do that, do we? Um, And uh, so I'm going to take you back to December 2018. We had just lost 6-2 against Spurs at Goodison. And the season looked like it might kind of run away out of control a little bit. Um, And I suppose it did in a way because we won 5-1 at Burnley. Um, And I just remember being really, really shocked at what was going on. It was just, it was a bit like the weekend, obviously the same scoreline, but it was just like the goal after goal after. And I think we went 3-0 up without them having a shot. Um, And it was just a real like again a bit like the emotions of the weekend where after the third you're not entirely sure how to celebrate the fourth and fifth i mean what what do you do um and it just came after a a, a night uh, the, the the spurs game was a really strange match if you remember um when they beat us 6-2 i think we went one up didn't we did we can't remember. I think so. Um, anyway, that's not the surprising one. Um, th- this is, you know, the five <laughs> ones. a surprising one. I mean, it was, um, yeah, really, really amazing performance. Great, great win. Um, and special mention to Yeri Mina who got us going that day, uh, who scored, a, who scored a header. Um, yeah, one of those games that you look at it and think, well, after last week, what, what the hell was that? Uh, and uh, it took us up to. I, I've got it up on the BBC website. It took us up to eighth in the league, and I've got a. A picture here of, of Clarets manager Sean Dyche saying, "We shot ourselves in the foot," uh, and he's got his he's got his ha- hand over his eyes during the game. Um, no more of that, please, Sean. But uh, yeah, that was one that just stood out, and I, I thought I had to mention it because I I actually thought to myself, "Crikey, when did we last score five away from home in a league game?" And I only had to go back to 2018, which I thought was actually not not as far as I thought I would have to be
6: honest. He was obviously uh, paying close attention, wasn't he, Sean? Because uh, yeah, he managed to repeat the trick pretty nicely there. Um, mine, mine's a defeat, just to throw a little bit of uh, shade on the on the on the nice little uh, party we've been having. Um, but I'll, I'll try and work a positive into it. Um, it's actually my first game at Goodison Park. We were on a hot streak, eight match unbeaten run. Uh, it was November thirtieth, nineteen ninety six. Joe Royal was manager, Neville Southall's still in goal. Kanchelskis is on the wing. We're gonna we we might win the league this year. We, we we look a good side and we are playing Sunderland, who are pretty pretty darn awful at the time, under Peter Reed, with Paul Bracewell in midfield. So I managed to get my first taste of Everton that very, very quickly at the age of uh, just, just turned seven years old when we lost 3-1, we missed a penalty, two late goals from Michael Bridges, and Sunderland were relegated. Uh, Joe Roy was sacked in March. Um, and the game I was supposed to go to uh, due to uh, a sort of change, of change of plan was two weeks earlier. Um, that was another surprising result. That was where we thumped Southampton 7-1 at home. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but there was some kind of poetic justice a couple of years later, oh, about 10 years later, actually, under David Moyes. Almost to the day, uh, we beat Sunland 7-1 as well. So, um, yeah, that's how I set us up for Everton 7, Manchester City 1. What do you, <laughs> what, what's your surprising result at? Yeah, so I'll, I'll t-
4: mine's more positive. I'll take you back to the year 2000. Um and I think this was surprising more just because of my age and what I'd seen. But in the space of a week, we beat Arsenal at home, and then we beat Chelsea at home with uh, Supercalf Campbell and uh, Danny Cadamar three up front. And it was just for me as an never seen you know. So my first season was the same as yours. I did my first game was Alan Shearer's Newcastle debut on the opening day when when Duncan stole the show and Unsworth and Speed scored. So so I'm with you in that sort of time frame. I think me and you. Just missed out on those that domination over Liverpool with Royal. So, for me, having been a, an Evertonian for four or five years at this point, for us to beat Arsenal was just incredible. Um, because I, I remember a, a year or so before Mark Overmars scored a winner in a 1 0 win, and I remember David Seaman slipping, and the ball just didn't go in for us. And that's when I started to realize, like, you know Everton. You know <laughs> things go for some teams and they don't for others. So for us to just to beat an Arsenal side that was so you know full of quality players with with you know Kevin Campbell, who was now my my absolute hero and absolute god, and you know Danny Cadamarter, had come through the, the the ranks, that was a real high for me. And then to beat you know a Chelsea side that was full of top you know international stars. Remember remember Sam Dalabona. got he got the goal for Chelsea, but. You know, it was another Everton win, and you know that was just magic. And that for me was just a shock because I'd never seen it before. Um, it 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 wasn't what Everton did, <laughs> um, but they did that week. And yeah, so that that they're the picks for me.
3: We had like a raft of injuries over them two games as well, if I recall. Like, like it was like a real sort of bare bones, and yeah, amazing, amazing couple of performances that.
5: Mine, I think, is uh, the one that I 0 win over Manchester City in 2017 under Ronald Koeman which was uh <laughs> one of the uh, falsest of dawns i think we've had <laughs> um yeah i mean it was the only time we've beaten city in the last 10 years now and i was obviously at the time it was um, pep guardiola's heaviest defeat as manager to that point i mean have they suffered a worse defeat since i'm not sure and uh you know and then for four years now it's been the most pointless fixture on our calendar really Um, until we got that, that draw at the etihad on, on new year's day so um yeah i just think uh, that for me was was one of the most unexpected results that that we've had um the, the the first one that popped into my head was the negative one i think when norwich beat us 5 went at home and efna and koku scored a bag for oh, yeah. um, but i think i'm i'm going to dwell on the positive as well and and go with that uh, win over city which um you know in view of this Sunday's opponents, I think is a good one, a fitting one.
4: <laughs> just for anybody who's superstitious, there are parallels this season to the 03-04 season. Um, so that season, Everton were sort of mid-table for much of it, but sort of I think they lost the last five games and we slipped to 17th. So on paper, the history books, it looks a much worse season than it was, but that year, Everton finished 17th. Leeds and Leicester filled eighteenth and nineteenth. Arsenal had topped the season, uh, topped the league most of the season. Liverpool United and uh, Liverpool United and Newcastle filled third, fourth, and fifth. Fulham were in the top ten. Everton had a ginger manager, and as well, <laughs> the team the team who were seventh were from the south. The last three letters in the name were T-O-N. Oh, and they weren't good at some that year. That was Brighton this year. Last day, three or four, it was Charlton. And so that is why everything are going to stay up. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Sold. <laughs> Very, can
3: nice. Finish, uh, Very nice. Can we finish every podcast with such positive stories. Uh, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> stories that was,
4: that was fantastic. I've just. Sorry, there's a bit of key info as well. Two of the last three fixtures were against Manchester City and Wolverhampton Wanderers. See, there's even more. Wow. There's so much oh, I forgot. Wow. Some of it. Let's leave
3: out. Let's leave out that we lost five nil to City. That in then last last few games. Uh,
5: Yeah, let's let's gloss over that, and uh, we'll we'll wrap it up there after almost uh, ninety minutes of chat. Fingers crossed, Everton can take some of the momentum gained from that performance on Monday uh, into the City game and put on a barnstorming performance that can uh, maybe add to the contenders for most surprising Everton results of the Premier League era. Uh, so until then, Blues, take care as always. Thanks so much for listening, and up the toffees. Watch this throw in by Britain, the Everton right
3: half. His wonderful kick presents Dixie Lee with a chance in the goal mouth, but
5: he doesn't miss this time. Congratulations to Dixie. That was a great goal, and it's worth seeing it over again.
1: Some superb defending from Argentine Zabaleta kept the scores level, and it looked like the game was heading for a stalemate. That was before the 91st minute. Osman's corner was poorly defended, and Cahill was able to head the ball back across goal for a dramatic winner. Cut out by Everton, and a chance to counter, Damari Gray. He's only got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, will he go alone? Still Gray, he might get a shot on goal, here he does! What a goal! What a strike, Damari Gray! Oh, kick that one out, Edison! Jack Rodwell, lovely quick feet to escape company. It's Jack Rodwell for Everton, gets the ball on for Cahill, and 2-0, Mikel Arteta. Smash and grab for Everton. Picked out Lukaku, he's finished brilliantly, as he always does. Everton in front, and it's him again. Everton double their lead, and how? A brilliant ball in from Barkley to Morales. And what about the finish? And Always prepared to hit City on the break, Tom Davis doing just that now. Oh, it's great play by Davis, wonderful skill. And on it goes for Barclay. back for Davis, what a finish this could be! Davis, he's done it! That must be Tom Davis's goal, his first for the club, and what a wonder goal it was! Everton, three up against Manchester City, into the penalty area for Lugman what a debut this could be what a debut it is unbelievable Adamola Ola only on the field a couple of minutes has hit Everton's fourth of the afternoon